if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thank you for being with us as we get rolling at uh, eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Thursday, the second morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord 2020. Coming up on the program, one hour from now, top of hour number two, Dr. Everett Piper will check in with us. Uh, doc, the doctor is going to talk about the Church of Holy Wokeness which indeed is a disturbing place to be. I will let him explain what that means coming up at 1010. Hour number one is open for your phone calls at 216-901-0945. A little audio and monologuing aside, the hour will be yours. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. You are welcomed and encouraged to be a part of this program, especially in the first hour. And then, of course, for the last half hour, Dr. Piper is the only guest on the docket for the day. We have a lot of things to get into today. I can tell you this, as my friend, a Twitter friend of mine, and there I am promoting something I have promised not to promote for the last two, three weeks, and that is Twitter. Um, it is evil. It is toxic. It is dangerous for this country. And I really, really am pulling back from it. I'm tweeting less and less. Uh, I'm looking at it even less than that. But I did look at it this morning, and my friend Will in Houston um, tweeted something that I think is absolutely 100% correct. Get ready for another big-time lockdown, particularly in Democratic-run states, in uh, places where blue state governors uh, are charged with doing everything they can to uh, stop Donald Trump from winning re-election. Blue state governors uh, elected by Democratic majorities feeling the pressure to make sure that the economy shrinks and that the economy tanks so that people will be screaming and clamoring for a new leader in November. Be prepared for them to issue lockdowns, strict, strict lockdowns over the course of the next three to four months. How do we know this? Because the news is out. The economy is bouncing back despite their best efforts. The job reports, the uh, uh, jobless report came today because tomorrow is a national holiday. It's going to be uh, the 3rd of July, celebrating the 4th of July on Saturday. So the uh, unemployment numbers came out today, a day early. And uh, they are phenomenal. 
the expectation, the estimate, was 2.9 million jobs created in the month of uh, June, or in the uh, month of yeah, the month of June. 2.9 was the estimate. The real number. million jobs were created. In other words, jobs either created or people going back to work from the lockdowns and the layoffs uh, that happened as a result of the pandemic or the terrible, terrible response to the pandemic, which was far worse than the pandemic itself. Non-farm payrolls rose by 4.8 million. The unemployment rate fell to 11.1%, the lowest since the crisis began which was also better than the 12.4% estimate that economists had forecast. So in other words, the, the economy is doing exactly what President Trump said it would do, and that is bounce back once we reopen America from this ridiculous, overreactionary shutdown for a virus with a uh, mortality rate that is lower than the seasonal flu. So you better believe that the next step is going to be for big blue state governors to order new shutdowns. Because at the same time, we see this tremendous economic news, and the market will reflect that as well. It will surge. Whenever we see this great economic news, uh, they're terrified. Blue state governors are terrified. They cannot allow this Trump to be right and for the Trump economy to come right back and, and to surge the way that it was surging for the first three years of his presidency. They can't allow that to happen because that, everybody knows that, that as, as recently as February, President Trump was going to cruise to re-election on the back of the strongest economy we've seen in this country in at least five decades. President Trump was going to cruise to re-election. Historical trends prove that. No president running for re-election, no incumbent on the back of a strong economy has ever been denied a second term. And the Democrats were going to trot up the corpse of Joe Biden as, as, as the way of stopping President Trump from winning a second term with a tremendous economy and the lowest unemployment rates for uh, virtually every demographic, demographic you can imagine, including black workers, uh, Latino workers, including uh, 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 the uh, differently abled workers, to teenage workers, to uh, women, to virtually everything. Wages incredibly uh, increased. I mean, all of the numbers and all of the GDP, and uh, you look at the, the stock market, I mean, everything has just been surging because of President Trump's low-tax, low-regulation policies that he put into place as soon as he got into office, and we have been reaping the benefits ever since. He was going to cruise to a, a re-election victory over you know, the propped-up corpse of Joe Biden, who cannot string coherent sentences together unless they're in a, a, a teleprompter in front of him. And even then, it's a coin flip. And so that was as recently as February. But then here comes March. Here we got this terrible virus here, the Wuhan virus, the Kung flu, as President Trump called it during one of his uh, or during his rally, his return uh, in Tulsa. Uh, I call it the Chinese coronavirus. Call it what you want. It was born in China and it was allowed to spread to the rest of the world, including the United States, despite President Trump's best efforts to limit China, uh, limit travel from China. And of course, you remember that, right? Do you remember that back in January, February and March when President Trump issued a ban on travel from China to the United States? 
What did Joe Biden, the corpse of Joe Biden, say? Well, that's racist. That is uh, that is uh, bigoted. Uh, this is just more of President Trump's white supremacy, trying to keep Asian people out of the country, etc. That's what Pelosi said. That's what Biden said. That's what all of them said. Now, of course, after the fact, it's how come Trump didn't do more to stop the virus from spreading in the United States? What he tried to do, you tried to stop. Call him a racist. Bottom line here is that had we not had the Chinese coronavirus uh, invasion uh, leading to all of the lockdowns, the Trump economy would be humming along. We'd have an uh, uh, unemployment rate of around 3%, maybe even lower than that, which is just crazy good. Uh, we'd have uh, uh, continuing skyrocketing wages. We would have, like I said, we would have a stock market well over 30000 uh, People's retirement funds would be continuing to grow. Uh, people's investments. I mean, honestly, every class of American, every class of American in terms of earning income, uh, or earnings, I should say, uh, would be would be just killing it right now. And President Trump would go into November and win easily. So what happens? We have the Chinese coronavirus instead. Everything collapses. Unemployment rate rises from just over 3% to 14 15% because the entirety of the American uh, economy was shut down. And including some red state governors, including here in the United St- or in the state of Ohio, beg your pardon, with Mike DeWine. But so we have this terrible, terrible job loss, uh, uh, um, you know, pat pandemic of its own. I could call it that. I think really an employment pandemic, because jobs were were you know were just being uh, lost left and right. And even though we are still in the midst of the pandemic, even though people are still having debates about the efficacy and the need for masks and COVID this and COVID that, even so, because the keys were, were you know, allowed to unlock the American economy just a little bit, just a little bit, as businesses open to, you know, 40, 50, 60% capacity, and with all kinds of rules and regulations that limit people's, you know, um, opportunity to experience their their consumer lives the way they did before i'm i'm not trying to be funny here i'm just what i mean is of course you have to wear masks you have to social distance in other words a lot of people don't like those things and so they're not even going back to these businesses because of the restrictions so with the with the keys turned just a little bit opening the door just a crack for the American economy to return a little bit. Businesses not allowed to be at full capacity, and people not really wanting to go to a lot of businesses because of, A, fear-mongering still going on in the media and by Democrat politicians claiming the virus is still lethal and coming to get you, and it's going to jump right off of somebody and onto you. And number two, uh, the fact that, like I said, people aren't having as much fun at some of these places they might go otherwise. I can't stand and socialize at the bar. I must be seated and only talk to the person next to me. I can't go down a few spots and uh, and introduce myself to somebody else. You know, all of the different regulations and rules that are put into place here are leading to people not even wanting to participate in some of their previous, uh, uh, you know, experiences. And despite those limitations of capacity and restrictions on experiences, the economy is already, it's like it's bursting at the, at the gate. It's like, you know, it's like a mob of rioters in a St. Louis private uh, uh, area, private property area, ready to burst down the iron gates. That's what the economy is doing. It's just like getting where I want to explode. And that's all they can do to hold it back. 
It's all the left can do. It's all the blue state governors can do to hold it back with the restrictions that they have in place. And they still can't. 4.8 million jobs created. Unemployment rate down to 11.1%. The job growth was a huge leap from 2.7 million in May to 4.8, which was, by the way, revised up by 190,000. The June total is easily the largest single-month gain in U.S. history. So people are getting their jobs back. And, again, the market is going to reflect that. So the economy is just, like, bursting at the seams, just ready to explode back into pre-COVID greatness thanks to the policies implemented by President Trump and his economic team. And so you know doggone well this cannot stand. This cannot be allowed. Expect a massive shutdown. Because at the same time, at the very same time we are getting this headline about the uh, June job numbers, at the very same time we are seeing headlines, you know, single day, greatest single day jump in COVID cases, 50,000 COVID cases here and 5,000 COVID cases there and blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, the death rate continues to stay flat. And the more positive cases that they count, the lower the mortality rate goes. And so they are going to continue to ignore the mortality rate and focus only on what the number of positive cases, which, by the way, does not mean the number of positive people, as has been explained ad nauseum by our friend Jack Windsor from WMFD-TV in Mansfield when he comes on and, and, uh, and talks about this with us. A positive case is a positive test, not necessarily a new person. And if a person tests positive and then goes into quarantine until they get two negative tests and they test them again, positive, test them again, positive, test them again, one person can can be four, five, six, seven, eight positive tests by the time it's all said and done, or positive cases. They're going to focus on that number in order to justify slamming the brakes on an economy that is getting ready to explode, that is getting ready to explode. We must be in terrible, dire financial straits come November for Joe Biden to win. Because if this economy rebounds under the Trump policies, by the way, while Joe Biden is making his first emergence from the basement that he has been locked in for the last three months and says, Hi, everybody. I'm Joe Biden, your Democrat nominee. And I'm also leading Donald Trump in the polls by 12 points. And when I win in November, I'm going to raise your taxes, your personal income taxes, capital gains taxes, all of corporate tax rates. All of them are going up. The Trump tax cuts will be a thing of the past. That's who they are trotting out in November to win. And if the Trump economy explodes over the next three months with the return of businesses and workers, the choice could never be more stark. Continued economic growth and low taxes under Trump or stifling economic growth and turning it into economic recession with higher taxes under Joe Biden. So the only hope they have is to turn this economy back into a a, a dumpster fire. They're going to start shutting you down over the next three months. Watch and see. 216 It's the Bob France Authority, AM 1420, The Answer.
926, onward and upward. AM 1420, The Answer. Dr. Everett Piper going to join us in about, uh, we'll call it 45 minutes, 40 or so. Yeah, 45 minutes, I guess. Is good enough. Uh, welcome you at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. They're not going to let this happen. You understand me? They're not going to let another massive job growth month happen in July and then another one in August and suddenly we got, you know, right now we're already a third of the way back. We have a, we have recovered approximately a third of the jobs that were lost at the height of the shutdown, the lockdown. Um, they're not going to let that become half or more than a half over the course of July and August and September as we get closer and closer to that November. They're going to lock everybody down again. And then they're going to say, oh, see, look, you know, the economy is still in a shambles. President Trump didn't do enough to stop the virus. President Trump didn't take it seriously. President Trump is to blame for all of this. Um, prepare yourself for that. Because President Trump's pro-growth uh, economic policies have worked. They worked prior to the virus, and now they are working even though the virus is still kicking. And they are not going to allow that to uh, to continue. Uh, let's go to the phones. And uh, Parma Heights is where we find Dave on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Dave. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, Bob. Good morning. I'm glad to be first batter today. Yes, sir. Hey, first of all, thank you for everything you do daily and filling in for some of the other radio guys. You always do a great job. Appreciate that. So what I wanted to touch on this morning is polling. Um, I'm 63 years old. I'm retired. been Mm -hmm. retired for a few years. I'll turn 64 next month, which I remember, by the way, your daughter has an August birthday, does she not? Yes, she does. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that. Uh, So I turned 64. My point is this. The polling, all these big polling companies that take these polls, and and what I'm about to say, I'm Mm -hmm. not lying. I'm being truthful. Okay. You know, I've served on, I've been summoned to serve on five juries, five times I've been seated on juries in my lifetime, criminal and civil cases. I voted in every election since 1975 when I became of age. Uh, And, you know, I've never gotten contacted for a poll. Never, not once, have I been contacted to poll. And that just shows you the BS that's involved with these companies. And I know they do different samplings. I know it's a big country and all that stuff and a lot of states. And the point is, you know, when they want me, they have no problem finding me for their help, whoever that might be. But when they taking a poll because I'm a conservative, I'm a Republican, I vote Republican for for decades, Never, I've never been contacted. Does, does that surprise you or maybe it doesn't? Yeah, I, I, I wish I knew. Isn't um, that something? I, I don't know, um, to be honest with you, Dave, because I I have actually served not on a regular jury, but I was actually the foreman of a grand jury for a period of months, so I got mm-hmm. I got grabbed somehow uh, yeah. for that. But I I don't think I've ever been pulled either. I don't think. Okay. And okay. and so I don't I don't know I I really don't know do they you know do they do it by phone are these random phone numbers are they email you know these massive polling services that you're talking about um, well, and so how know, do they get your phone yeah. number. How do they get your phone yeah. number? How would they know to call you? So I, I re, I'm going right. to confess my ignorance here to this. I do find it odd that the government can find you five times for a jury and never nobody can find you for, uh, uh, you know, for for a poll. Yeah, um, and because just, you're a registered voter, and that's the main thing. You're a registered. Voter, well, that's how the so government can find polls, you, right? That's how the government yeah. can find you for a jury because you're a voter. But I don't know how yeah. the I don't know how the pollsters if they necessarily have access to your contact info the way the government does by your registration. Right. 
But so, it's just, uh, it's just, I always feel like I get so burned up because it's like I hear this, this BS with these polls. And it's the same thing like 2016, what we're seeing now. Well, you know what? So, here's, here's the thing that, that I find know. interesting about 2016, Dave, in the comparison. And, and thanks for the call and the great uh, discussion, my friend. I appreciate it. I'll say this before the news. Here's the thing. I believe not only are not everybody, obviously not everybody can be pulled, but I think uh, for whatever reason, a strange uh, number of people who are uh, pro-Trump um, are not being polled. Um, is it, it's actually kind of a two-pronged situation here. I think there are people who are not getting calls like Dave um, or me, but I think there are a lot of people, and we saw this in 2016, who are getting called, who are Trump voters who refuse to take the survey. And so what they're left with is just a survey of likely Democrat voters. And then they get these numbers, which show an easy win for Hillary Clinton. And then suddenly, oh, it didn't happen that way, because here come these Trump voters who would not take the poll. They wouldn't take the poll either because they're afraid of acknowledging themselves as Trump voters and the fear of that somebody else is going to find that out. Or they literally are trying to sandbag and say, no, uh, I don't need to tell you who I'm going to vote for. And they don't. But, and so they become the true silent majority who only shows up to take a poll on the day that it matters, on election day. So that could be part of it, Dave. Maybe you're not getting called in your case. Maybe some people are getting called and saying, not going to answer that. I'll tell you who I'm voting for on the day I vote. And that's when we show up en masse. And I'll tell you what, I've got both fingers and both sets of toes crossed right now that that is the case. Because we absolutely cannot allow Joe Biden and the Democrats to take over this country. Back after the news. Thirty-six. Now we continue on AM fourteen twenty. The answer, Doctor Everett Piper, coming up at uh, the top of the hour. After the top of the hour, rather, I want to share something with you um, that I find particularly timely. I saw this yesterday, and it was actually also sent to me by a friend yesterday. Uh, so two different actual articles on the story that I find particularly um, timely. As you know, um, most of the modeling that was used to predict the spread and the lethality, the mortality of the Chinese coronavirus was based on the modeling that was done to predict the impact and the death and the destruction of the world, essentially, uh, of the climate alarmists. The models for the those who believe that uh, global warming is a man-made, man-responsible occurrence that is going to wipe out all life, or particularly human life, on this planet. What did AOC say? In 12 years, I think, was what her prediction was, 12 years. I think that's a Greta Thunberg. Remember, we got to listen to that 16-year-old uh, high school dropout. Uh, she said 12 years, too, I think. And the the modeling that has been done that predicts these things and predicts the uh, devastating effects of global global warming has been challenged scientifically many, many, many times. But the scientists who do the challenging are usually silenced by the scientific community because this isn't about science, this is about politics. This is about power. And when the models that were used to uh, predict that right now the eastern seaboard should all be underwater, Florida should be all but gone, listening to Al Gore and those you know who drew the models up for him back in uh, the late 1990s, um, and certainly into the two, early 2000s when his movie came out, um, 
they they have been trusting this modeling, as I said, for a very long time. And they have been drumming out of the scientific community anybody who dares dispute it. And science, by the way, by its very nature, needs to be challenged. It needs to be peer-reviewed. And any time peers say, well, no, this isn't accurate, this isn't true, this is being omitted, this data is being spiked, this data is the only thing that's being promoted because it all fits an agenda or a narrative, they get drummed out of the community. So it's a long way of saying that this is a wonderful story that I was presented with yesterday and that I also saw yesterday. Michael Schellenberger is a climate activist and energy expert. He won the Time Magazine honor called Hero of the Environment Award, and he was a Green Book Award winner as well. And he published an op-ed in Forbes, or at uh, at, uh, Forbes.com, headlined, On Behalf of Environmentalists, I Apologize for the Climate Scare. You see, he decided to come clean, and he decided to out the scientific community of global warming alarmists that he was part of. And they allowed that, according to Mr. Schellenberger, to to exist on Forbes for a very short time. Within a period of hours, Forbes deactivated his piece and, and removed it from the website. Michael Schellenberger then went to the Daily Wire and said, will you run this piece? Because the truth needs to come out, and I'm about to tell it. And the Daily Wire did. Michael Schellenberger says, I am grateful that Forbes has been so committed to publishing a range of viewpoints, including ones that challenge the conventional wisdom, and was thus disappointed my editors removed my piece from their website. I believe Forbes is an important outlet for broadening environmental journalism beyond the overwhelmingly alarmist approach taken by most reporters, and look forward to contributing heterodoxical pieces of energy and the environment in the future. But then he... he, uh, he gave the article to the Daily Wire, which published it in its entirety. And I think a good portion of it is worth our time. Take just a small break here, for, if we can, from the COVID-19 hysteria and from the Black Lives Matter Marxist movement to destroy American uh, law and order. And let's look at the, uh, the apology from a... And by the way, let me give, in case I wasn't clear, let me give you the rest of his, uh, uh, the rest of his little mini-bio. Schellenberger is a Time Magazine winner of Hero of the Environment, a Green Book Award winner, the author of Apocalypse Never, Why Environmental Alarmism Hurts Us All, uh, which is actually just coming out. He's a frequent contributor to the New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, Scientific American, and other publications. His TED Talks have been viewed over 5 million times. In other words, this guy is an expert in the field, trusted up until now by liberal global warming alarmists. And now, this is what he says. On behalf of environmentalists everywhere, I would like to formally apologize for the climate scare we created over the last 30 years. Climate change is happening. It's just not the end of the world. It's not even our most serious environmental problem. I may seem like a strange strange person to be saying all of this because I've been a climate activist for 20 years and an environmentalist for 30 But as an energy expert asked by Congress to provide objective expert testimony and invited by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, to serve as expert reviewer of its next assessment report, I feel an obligation to apologize for how badly we environmentalists have misled the public. Now I'm going to pause there and editorialize and say this, again, is what needs to happen from the uh, 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 Chinese coronavirus 
crowd that are badly misleading the public about how horribly dangerous this disease, this virus is, with its 99% plus survival rate. An apology needs to be issued now, not 10 years from now, after too much damage has been done to our economy. Back to the uh, article. Here are some facts people need to know. Humans are not causing a sixth mass extinction. The Amazon is not the lungs of the world. Climate change is not making natural disasters worse. Fires have declined 25% around the world since 2003. The amount of land we use for meat, humankind's biggest use of land, has declined by an area nearly as large as Alaska. The buildup of wood fuel and more houses near forests, not climate change, explain why there are more and more dangerous fires in Australia and California. Carbon emissions have been declining in rich nations, including Britain, Germany, and France, since the mid-70s. Adapting to life below sea level made the Netherlands rich, not poor. We produce 25% more food than we need, and food surpluses will continue to rise as the world gets hotter. You notice, um, here's an editorial again, you know that's part of the narrative, that as the global temperature warms, people are going to starve that our food uh, surpluses will become food deficits. Not true. Habitat loss, back to the article, and the direct killing of wild animals are bigger threats to species than climate change is. Wood fuel is far worse for people and wildlife than fossil fuels. That'll get them. Preventing future pandemics requires more, not less, industrial agriculture. I know that some of the above facts will sound like climate denialism to many people, but that just shows the power of climate alarmism. In reality, the above facts come from the best available scientific studies, including those conducted by or accepted by the IPCC, the Food and Agricultural Organization of the United Nations, and uh, the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, and other leading scientific bodies. Some people will, when they read this, imagine that I am some right-wing anti-environmentalist. I am not. At 17, I lived in Nicaragua to show solidarity with the Sandinista Socialist Revolution. Did you hear that line? The writer of this report saying global warming alarmism is a joke, and that he is apologizing for being a part of, perpetuating, lived at the age of 17 in Nicaragua to show solidarity with the Sandinista Socialist Revolution. He's not a right-wing climate denialist. At 23, I raised money for the Guatemalan women's cooperatives. In my early 20s, I lived in the semi-Amazon, doing research with small farmers fighting land invasions. At 26, I helped expose poor conditions at Nike factories in Asia. I became an environmentalist at 16 when I threw a fundraiser for Rainforest Action Network. At 27, I helped save the last unprotected ancient redwoods in California. In my 30s, I advocated renewables and successfully helped persuade the Obama administration to invest $90 billion into them. Over the last few years, I helped save enough nuclear plants from being replaced by fossil fuels to prevent a sharp increase in in emissions. Until last year, I mostly avoided speaking out against the climate scare. Partly, that's because I was embarrassed. After all, I am as guilty of alarmism as any other environmentalist. For years, I referred to climate change as an existential threat to human civilization and called it a crisis. But mostly, I was scared. I remained quiet about the climate disinformation campaign because I was afraid of losing friends and funding. The few times I summoned the courage to defend climate science from those who misrepresent it, I suffered harsh consequences. And so I mostly stood by and did next to nothing 
as my fellow environmentalists terrified the public. I even stood by as people in the White House, and many in the news media tried to destroy the reputation and career of an outstanding scientist. Good man and friend of mine, Roger Pleakey Jr., or Peelkey Jr., excuse me, a lifelong progressive Democrat and environmentalist who testified in favor of carbon regulations. Why did they do that? Because his research proves natural disasters aren't getting worse. But then last year, things spiraled out of control. Alexandria Damasio-Cortez, that's my editorial, said the world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change. Britain's most high-profile environmental group claimed that climate change kills children. The world's most influential green journalist, Bill McKibben, called climate change the greatest challenge humans have ever faced and said it would wipe out civilizations. Mainstream journalists reported repeatedly that the Amazon was the lungs of the world and that deforestation was like a nuclear bomb going off. As a result, half the people surveyed around the world last year said they thought climate change was going to make humanity extinct. And in January, one out of five British children told pollsters they were having nightmares about climate change. Whether or not you have children, you must see how wrong this is. I admit I may be sensitive because I do have a teenage daughter. After we talked about the science, she was reassured. But her friends are deeply misinformed and thus, understandably, frightened. I thus decided to speak out. I knew that writing a few articles wouldn't be enough. I needed a book to properly lay out all of the evidence. And so my formal apology for our fear-mongering comes in the form of my new book, Apocalypse Never, Why Environmental Alarmism Hurts Us All. It's based on two decades of research and three decades of environmental activism. At 400 pages, with 100 of them endnotes, Apocalypse Never covers climate change, deforestation, plastic waste, species extinction, industrialization, meat, nuclear energy, and renewables. Some of the highlights that everyone should know whether they read the book or not. Factories and modern farming are the keys to human liberation and environmental progress. Let me stop there and editorialize. The exact opposite of what Greta Thunberg and AOC and all of the other liars and alarmists are telling us, that factory farming is killing America, or not America, rather killing the climate, killing the world. The most important thing, back to the article, for saving the environment is producing more food, particularly meat on less land. The most important thing for reducing air pollution and carbon emissions is moving from wood to coal, to petroleum, to natural gas, to eventually uranium. 100% renewables would require increasing the land used for energy from today's 0.5% to 50%. We should want cities, farms, and power plants to have higher, not lower, power densities. Vegetarianism reduces one's emissions by less than 4%. Greenpeace did not save the whales. Switching from whale oil to petroleum and palm oil did. Free-range beef would require 20 times more land and produce 300% more emissions. Greenpeace dogmatism worsened for a forest fragmentation of the Amazon. The colonialist approach to guerrilla conservation in the Congo produced a backlash that may have resulted in the killing of 250 elephants, etc., etc. Why were we all so misled? And I'll stop there. The music is playing, and the article is, is pretty, pretty heavy. But essentially, the facts still matter. And the summary from Mr. Schellenberger, who was part of the climate alarmism move over the last 20 years... The summary of this is, I apologize. We lied, 
and we made things sound way worse than they are, and it's now time for the truth to be told. I want to know if the scientific community is going to listen to him or if they will just continue to do what every organization does when somebody does not toe the party line discredit them and drum them out of said scientific community. I also wonder if those studying COVID-19 and predicting the worst of the worst are ever going to have the guts to apologize for their misinformation using the same models that were used in the climate alarmism. All right, quick time out here, then back to your calls on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 956. Appreciate you being with us. Uh, That's going to be an appropriate song uh, for the next segment, actually, when Dr. Everett Piper comes on and he talks to us about the abandonment of uh, holy principles by the church uh, and instead how so many evangelicals in particular um, have subscribed to the church of holy wokeness. And it's real. It is uh, it is a it is a collapse of traditional Christian orthodoxy. It is a collapse of traditional Christian beliefs, all in favor of appeasing the rage mobs and joining into the Marxist movement uh, being pushed by Black Lives Matter and other organizations um, that are similar to that. So, uh, yeah, losing my religion is a pretty good song, actually, and uh, that'll that'll apply certainly when we talk to the good doctor. Uh, after the top of the hour. Diane is in West Park on AM 1420, The Answer. Hello, Diane, go ahead. Hello, Bob. And uh, I want to second that thank you for all you do and all the information you bring to us every day. Um, I uh, that, that article in the book by Mr. Schellenberger is sure a good, uh, uh, you know, a dose of good news. And I think that, um, I think we're, I, I, just hearing some of this stuff, maybe uh, it, it just all it seems like we're turning a corner. Um, even though they're talking COVID, 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 lockdown, more cases every time you hear the news. I mean, if I, I do have a radio with a bandwidth, and it, it goes from station to station, and they're all talking about the same thing. But I'm I'm kind of sensing from a bit of hope because. I think Democrats are seeing in the they're seeing what the far left arm of their party is doing and trying to do and they don't want it. That couple in Missouri, they don't want it and you know, I think it's going to have an avalanche effect, a rippling effect if you will. And I'm I'm just boy, if if we don't have that, if they don't wake up and we're just going to, this is going to be our last Independence Day. We're going to, uh, we got to know that we are choosing liberty or tyranny. It's the, that uh, black and it, white. It, it, yes, it is. It is as binary as can be. There are just two choices here. You choose, you either choose to continue living a life of liberty in a nation devoted to that in a free capitalist republic, or you choose tyranny. And the, and the, and thank you for the call, Diane. The, the fact of the matter is, there is no in between. If you allow Joe Biden to win, he wins and they win the Senate also, period. 
If they come, if they outvote us at the presidential election, they're going to outvote us in the right states and take over the Senate. They're going to have unchecked power. And here's the thing, going back to the beginning of Diane's call, right? She talked about Mr. Schellenberger and what an eye-opening thing this is and what a, what a great uh, piece of news it is uh, that we have one of the climate change alarmists for the last 20 years coming clean and saying, yeah, it's not true. Uh, I was afraid to say it before once I realized it because of what they do to people like me uh, who are kind of considered apostates who, um, who are uh, speaking out against the holy religion of climate alarmism. And she said that's a good thing. And it is. Until this. If Joe Biden wins the White House and Democrats control the Senate as well as the House that they currently control, despite knowing that climate change alarmism is bull and bogus and being fostered and fed by organizations who know it but who try to drum out anybody who actually tells the truth about it, it's going to make it that much worse when the Green New Deal is past the green new deal of course is the overthrow of the united states as it exists a complete undoing of all of the progress made in the last 240 years the green new deal is based on climate alarmism that we now know is bogus so imagine the pain of it all if next year january 20th joe biden is sworn in and they immediately get to work on passing the green new deal in their full democrat controlled congress even though we know thanks to mr schellenberger the truth about what they're doing and that's just uh that's just terrifying let's get the news then we'll get dr everett